When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's Tom Bilyeu here. And if you are addicted to the relentless pursuit of greatness, then I've got something special for you guys. The Motivation Daily Podcast by Motiversity. It's your daily fix of motivation, inspiration, and wisdom featuring the best speeches and speakers on the planet. We cover it all. Life, business, relationships, discipline, purpose, mental health, sports, studying, focus, you name it. With exclusive speeches from heavy hitters like Coach Payne, Billy Allsbrooks, Marcus Taylor, Dr. Jessica Houston, Walter Bond, and more. If you're ready to take control, level up, or just crush your day, then Motivation Daily Podcast is your secret weapon. Search for the Motivation Daily Podcast and follow wherever you listen to amazing podcasts. Right now, I think my deepest fear is actually I have this like opportunity FOMO. So I constantly have this fear that I'm like missing opportunities. I think that's one of the reasons I wrote this book and one of the reasons I'm obsessed with cues is because I am terrified that I am missing things. I feel like I missed the memo on social interactions, right? Like that's my entire career is trying to write up that memo again. And that really hurt me. It really slowed me down for so many years. It destroyed my confidence. It made me have bad relationships. It made me ignore cues. I think for a long time I had really toxic people in my life and I didn't spot the cues. And so I think I'm terrified of underestimating others. I'm terrified of missing things that I shouldn't have missed or not listening to my gut. Vanessa Van Edwards, welcome back to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to talk about your book, which feels like the sort of natural progression from Captivate, which smashed. Oh. And now I want you to, in as few words as possible, oh. tell me what is charisma? Charisma is the perfect blend of being likable and powerful. Whew, that was <laughs> boom, really, whoa. Boom, homie. Oh, we that rocked was that really, in, that in was very like six few words. words or something. All right, so likable and powerful. So yeah. now break those two elements down for me. So yes. likability. Okay, so I think that what there's, there's a mistake that happens with very smart people. This is the one that we see the most often, is really smart, intelligent people. They want to hit you with their smarts. Mm. They want to be impressive. And so they come into interaction or on a video call, and they're like, I want to blow you away. So they mention accolades and numbers and fancy facts and rehearsed answers. And people will see them as impressive, capable, powerful, but cold, intimidating, mm-hmm. hard to talk to. And so, and this is what the research found, Competence without warmth leaves people feeling suspicious. Suspicious? Why suspicious? Suspicious. This is from Dr. Susan Fisk. That is a direct quote. I I memorized it because it took my breath away when I read it. Mm. Because I realized for so long, as you know, I'm a recovering awkward person. I would try to, you know, impress people and and make sure that they liked me. And so I would try to blow them away with smarts. And the problem is, is that when you do that, it leaves people feeling suspicious. And that's because when we don't have likability, likability softens our power. Mm. When we add the warmth plus competence, so likable, friendly, compassionate, trustworthy, 
plus capable, powerful, impressive, that's the sweet spot. And the study, what they did is they had participants look at short clips of politicians. They didn't know these politicians. They just had them watch these clips of politicians. And they asked them two different questions. Who is warm, likable, and trustworthy? And who is dominant, powerful, and capable? The politicians who had only one of those were not rated as charismatic. They were not as successful. They Hit weren't both. as successful in real life or just in the study? In the study, they were ranked okay. very low on the charisma scale. So they could be seen as trustworthy, but if they weren't also powerful, they were not seen as compelling. Hmm. They were not seen as convincing. They weren't seen as memorable. So the biggest challenge I think we have to be charismatic is to show up as our warmest, most competent self. But it has to be that balance. Of course, and that's why it's amazing. Yeah. But it's like, talk about feeling like you're being pulled in two opposite directions. And I find, I find it, I don't want to use the wrong word here. I, yeah. I find it easy to be warm. Yeah. And I find it easy to be intense. I find it difficult mm -hmm. to be warm and intense. Although okay. you didn't use the word intense, you used powerful, but I guess I don't like but throwing I like that intense. moniker at myself. But yes, so warm and intense I find extraordinarily difficult. Yes. Warm or intense, okay. that's a lot easier. I'm gonna make you feel better. Please. Okay. Actually, the research finds they can be chronological. Okay. And this is extremely helpful. Like, well, this is like next level. Yes, Which warmth should come and first? Warmth. Okay, Okay, Makes sense. why? As humans, when we first meet another human, the very first question we ask about them is, can I trust you? Right? So like from across the room, on a video call, in an email, we are looking, can I trust you? Are you on my side? Are you a threat? Can I, can I make sure that I'm not going to be at harm? Not mm -hmm. just physical harm, but even like emotional harm. Are you on my side? The next question we answer, and it is the next question, is can I rely on you? So let's take an email, for example, because that's a, the easy, we can control all the elements. In a really good email, we do this sometimes naturally, but not always, the subject and the opener should be warm. Maybe the opening line is also warm, and the content, the body of the email is competent, 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 and the sign-off is your choice. So for example, when we look at uh, words, I love the power of word choice. What research finds is when we read words like collaborate, we are more likely to be collaborative. When we read words like power, we are more likely to be powerful. Here's a specific study. It's a little complicated. Can I go, can I go deep? Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, please. The study like blew my mind. So here's what they did. They had participants come into the lab and they gave them like a, a quiz, like a math test they had to solve. One set of participants got a set of directions that was very simple. It said, please take this test, take your time, answer all the questions correctly. The second group got a set, the same set of directions, but they sprinkled in a couple of high achievement words or achievement-oriented words. So achievement-oriented words are like win, succeed, master, achieve. We love those words. They like give us the tinglies. Okay. They just sprinkled them in. They wanted to know if just adding in a couple of achievement-oriented words would change participants' behavior. Just those achievement-oriented words made them get more answers right. So it actually changed their performance. In other words, reading the word win makes you think more like a winner. It changes your physiology to be more like a winner. Second, this is where I think it gets more interesting. It doubled, doubled their desire to work on the task. So it made them work on the quiz longer and it made them enjoy working on the quiz. And lastly, it actually changed their physiology. So when we read- What were they measuring? So how many questions I got right. But when you say it changed their physiology, how do we know? Yes, they are measuring the amount of testosterone or dopamine or oxytocin. They took their the blood levels? I believe it was either blood or saliva. Wow. To see if their physiology would change. 
So when we read words like this, it actually changes how we think and how we feel. Mm. And so I share this because I think we send emails or we have a LinkedIn profile and we throw it, you know, uh, hey everyone, uh, today we have to get a lot of things done. It's going to be a really busy week. Uh, let's make sure that we overcome all those challenges. When you write words like busy, people are literally primed to be busier. Mm. When you write words like challenge, they're more likely to be challenged. So going back to warmth and competence, it's a challenge for everyone. If you open up your last five sent emails to important people, mm-hmm. only the important ones, and you count the number of warm words you're using and the number of competent words you're using, you will see exactly how you're coming across to others. But the best thing you can do is open with warmth, hit them with competence, and end with purpose. Dude, the number of times that I've written an email where I'm like, okay, let's do this, where literally the first word is, let's do this, <laughs> or text, even worse. Yeah. And then I'm about to hit send. Yeah. And I'm like, let me just quick go back to this. And I'm like, oh my God, hi, good morning. You know, like to add something. Although after reading the book, I realize I'm adding sort of the lamest, most boring, easy to tune out words humanly possible. But are you it, usually adding warmth or competence? Oh, I don't think of it. I'm always trying to add warmth. Okay. I never think about the competence. I'm always just uh, goal oriented. So right. the 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 thought that triggers in my head is yeah. always there is something very specific and concrete I'm trying to accomplish. Yes, and I go right to it. Yes, and I find so every every time I read your books yeah. or we get to sit down together, where on camera or off camera, I become yeah. hyper aware oh. uh, in in a good <laughs> way sorry. because I think that too often I'm not thinking mm. through. Like I'm in my head, I know what I'm trying to do, but I forget that you really do have to do the emotional management, the relationship management, especially when you have employees. It's you have to every time you touch somebody, it's like accumulating into their perception of who you are. Yeah. And so if all I'm ever doing is goal oriented and I'm not taking the time to connect with them as a human, it gets weird. So anyway, I don't think about warmth or competence yes. in the first pass because I'm I'm just Get in the done. task. Yes. Then I go back and I do a warmth pass. Yes. Usually, yes. I'm sure I forget. <laughs> yeah, yes. Um, but it is, it's very interesting how your default mode doesn't take any of that into consideration. Right, and I think that that's why we're so burnt out. What do you mean by that? I think the reason why we're all like, oh, I'm in this malaise, like the days are so long, and why we're so burnt out is because our way that we communicate has changed and we're trying to get things done. We've become a very task. Is this specific to COVID? No, I think that this is this was already brewing. You said the way that we work has changed. I think since the way that when? we work has changed. I think since uh, video calls, emails, and digital communication has been easy and then it got okay. exacerbated by COVID. Mm-hmm. Because what's happening is our way of communication is changing so we're putting more out, right? Our output for communication I, I, I don't know, quadruple, 10x? Think about the days where we didn't have email phone, or text, just mm-hmm. phone. We maybe had an in-person conversation with a colleague, an in-person conversation with our partner. We maybe picked up the phone and called someone. What is that? At the maximum, you could have 20 or 30 interactions in a day at the max. But that's only if you're isolated because so recently we started having people, if they wanted to, yes. come back to the house, you yes. have to test every day, blah, blah, yes. blah. 
And yesterday was the first day where like, there were quite a few people here. Yes. And we were all sitting around the table and I was like, wow, this is so, the amount of communication I would have mm-hmm. said is way higher, but it was all informal. Mm-hmm. So yes. it was like, it wasn't a meeting. It wasn't like a, like if Little I send a text, it has a really specific agenda. Right. I'm trying to get to this. Right. It was, you know, goofing around. It was being more playful. It was quick, like yes. things about, hey, have you talked to this person? That kind of thing. And I was like, whoa. Because I've, I've said to people, hey, you know, I th- I'm a little worried about working from home because I love it as yeah. a, a sort of, I will say I'm introverted. I'm, I'm an ambivert to yes, your point, And yes. you can talk about, you go into that in the book. But, but I'm also almost isolationist mm-hmm. when I'm in introvert mode. Yes. Where it's like, I don't want to see or talk to anybody. I put over the ear headphones. I don't want people interrupting me or talking to yes. me. And, but I began to like, uh, I'm a little worried on the creative side. That's where I've always focused. On the creative side that we're losing energy. And it's hard to get people excited about something when it's like, you know, this asynchronous communication. And yesterday when people were in the room, I was like, oh my God. <laughs> like just the, the human connection yes. and the fun. Yes, and the flood of chemicals, right? So I think that when we're in person and there was what, maybe five or 10 people, those are five or 10 connections that you're having all day or during a meeting. In a digital world or we're having online connection, we could have hundreds, right? Like every text we send is, is its own unique communication. Mm. And that burns us out because it's giving us all the same information without the chemicals, right? So Dude, uh, in man, person- I'm so with you. The timing of this conversation is so on point for I, what's going on in my life. We have to manage that, right? Like I want you to be aware that, okay, if people come over, I'm getting way more chemicals. I'm getting the oxytocin of the handshake. I'm getting oxytocin from the eye contact. I'm getting dopamine because we're smiling and laughing together. And I'm getting the information I've been getting for the last you know, couple months. Mm. In a text or an email or even a video call, it shrinks. We're getting way less of the good chemicals, way less of the dopamine and oxytocin, but the same amount of information. I think that is why we're so burnt out. Mm. So I think the more that we can take control of our cues. So You know, I've always struggled with confidence. I've always tried to grasp that, you know, that amazing spirit. I think the only way to do it is control for me. But I think that controlling the environment, controlling my cues. Okay. So I think that the only way that I feel confident is if I know, okay, I have this important email I have to send to a team member and here's the information I have to get across. I do the same thing as you. I think most people do. I get the information out first. Typically, right, like here's what has to get done. Mm. And then I add in the warmth, typically in the first 10 words, and this is a really easy way to do it for yourself. This is only when it's important. It doesn't have to be every email. I think, okay, what is the person, what do I want this person to feel? If I were with them in person, what would I want to gift them? When I want to gift them excitement, like get excited about them? Gift. I think it's a gift. I think that we can prevent burnout by gifting the right chemicals, Hmm. right? Like it takes effort, like a gift. So if I'm like, okay, I want this person to be excited about this project, I'm going to use words that cue for excitement. And this is literally what the research shows, that when we say things like, what are you excited about? Or I can't wait for this project. Or I'm looking forward to this. Those are excitement words. Or do I want to gift strategy? Do I want to gift efficiency? Do I know that we are pushed for time and I want to gift streamline, collaborate, brainstorm, credible? The more I use those words, the more I am literally gifting that testosterone, that chemical. So I think that that's how we can next level, it's like next level, we can gift those chemicals to people in our in-person interactions, but also in our emails and our videos. What I find really interesting about that is that you're cueing 
not only to other people, but to yourself, even selecting the word gift, which is an interesting reframe for me as I think about that, um, think about the different interactions and what I want to communicate. But even choosing that word feels very different than communicate or um, even give. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's really powerful. Getting the framing device right so that whatever your sort of emotional goals there. And you just cued me that you want to talk. This is so interesting. And you go into detail about this, like the cues that people will do. Yeah. Um, walk me through what just happened in the last nine seconds. Okay. So I really wanted to reframe you because you were wanting to get it done, which was good. And we were talking about like, how do we make it better? How do we get it done? And the reframe I wanted to give was, this is like a gift. And how did you interrupt me though, without saying a word? I, so first I was using the word gift, which I think already was like, like your brain was like, oh, that's something different. And then also I leaned into you, right? And I widened my eyebrows a little bit just to show like we're open, like we're getting into this. So like those were two high warmth cues. So we think about nonverbal. I was trying to cue you for warmth, right? So I leaned a little bit more. And by the way, this changes our brain. So the study that I share in the book, which is just try anyone, just try leaning in a little bit. It will actually activate a different area of your brain. So when I lean in a little bit, you lean in a little bit more, like your head actually in a bit, which activates your motivation. And then even just taking a breath and slightly opening your mouth, I was like, up, oh, I know. It, it, it is so interesting. I knew exactly that you had something to say. And I think we all take it for granted yeah. how you can use that. In the book, you walk people through, hey, if there's somebody that's talking too much and you need to interrupt them, but you can don't want to do like, please. Okay, okay, okay. So this is like a superpower. So if I have anyone who's uh, introvert, um, anyone who's awkward, anyone who lacks uh, social assertiveness, I think social assertiveness is actually like a hidden trait that everyone should learn. Because to be socially assertive, it means you're putting your needs forward, but you're being polite about it. Right? So you're not, you're not people pleasing, you're not bending over. Okay, so this is if you have an interrupter. So you have someone who constantly interrupts you. You have a couple techniques. First is the open mouth, which I just did to you. Um, so the open mouth, I call it the fish. So if you want to say something, you... <laughs> right? And the bigger the, the open, the more they'll notice. This works on video calls. This works in person. So if someone's talking to you, you're like, oh, she needs to say something. And you'll bookmark it. You'll literally be like, oh, wait, she has to say something. So try opening the mouth. The second one is we are very cued that a hand raise or even a finger raise means uh, one moment, can I say something? And so if you have someone who's talking or who interrupted you, you can literally that, a little bookmark or a little like, a, it's like a pupil, right? Like you're raising your hand. And the next level is you actually reach out and touch them. And that's like my least favorite, but if you really have Why someone. Why least favorite? Because in this world, if we're six feet apart, Right, it's really hard to cross that space boundary. And also some people aren't comfortable with touch. So I reserve that one if you're only like, I really need to get their attention. Touch is like the nuclear weapon, or maybe plutonium is the right word. <laughs> it's the plutonium of communication. It can be used to create nuclear power yeah. or an atomic bomb. I, I don't think we talked about this in the last time that we were together, but I went out on um, a business evening with a woman who touched so much that I was almost laughing to myself. And <laughs> That's so I, awkward. No, I know. And it, it, it actually wasn't awkward. And what made it so interesting was how hyper aware of it I was and that it still worked. And I was like, how is this possible? Like, it was but, working. Yeah, like forearm, hand, oh my God, laughing, shoulder. I was like, what is happening right now? I felt like I was at a magic show. So this is a, <laughs> this is a thing that magicians do. They acclimate you to being touched. So when they pick your pocket, you've just been so used to them touching yes. you, you don't even notice. Wait, and can I, I ask like, you, where did she touch you? 
Uh, arm, arm, shoulder. Okay, so yes, yeah, so uh, and this is for, if you want to be a toucher, if you want to like use this plutonium, I like that word. Um, keep in mind that um, the further up the arm you go, the more intimate the touch. So like if you want to start with a touch, like a hand touch is the least intimate, the most safe, right? So if someone's like talking like this, you could reach out and touch their hand. That's the most. I'm safe. so like germphobic now. If somebody, t- if you touch my arm, I'm fine. If you touch my hand, it's like yo. Maybe th- that's those are fighting it. words. I wonder if that's changed it. Like now because our hands carry I germs. I would certainly be worried about it. <gasps> Okay, so further up the arm and, and back is usually okay. Like, but mm. the more the, the lower we go, the more intimate the touch becomes. So I was just curious if it was it, all here. It was, and it broke down like every barrier that I had. It was so interesting because I would. I am so weird about that. I would never reach out and touch somebody that I did not know extraordinarily <laughs> okay. well. No, and no, yeah, no. like it was really, but it was really interesting. So well, I was like. I know this is a thing. Yeah. I can't bring myself to do it. Yeah. And yet, as somebody's doing it to me, and I, it was so frequent. She must have touched me, you're going to think I'm kidding, 42 times no. in the night. I mean, it was hilarious <laughs> and effective. Okay, so let's talk about touch. So uh, the reason why touch works is because it produces oxytocin. We also can self-produce oxytocin. So that's why, like, if you rub your hands, whenever I have um, students who are really nervous, I say self-touch. Mm. And the reason for this is because you can keep literally- it, Keep it clean, boys and girls. Yeah. I knew- I, I had to, forgive me. I, I was like, do I do it or do I let him yeah. do it? I was like, softball. Thank Just you. Get, yeah, okay, so, yeah, I'm practicing being warm, you see. <laughs> I love it, I love it. Self-touch, PG, right? So you can, like, rub your arms. Like, this will literally produce oxytocin. Um, Justin Bieber does uh, havening. Have you heard of havening? Because of you, yes. Okay, so uh, havening is when we like try to stimulate our senses. You'll notice he'll often like rub his head. I'm not going to do it because my hair look, looks cute today. Right? So I'm not going to do it today, but you rub our head or you can rub your arms to literally mm. trigger that oxytocin. I saw okay. in, you were talking about Justin Bieber and you did a self-hug And you started doing it on camera and you actually got lost. I'm not going to do it right now because I'm worried it's going to lose me. So interesting. I'm going to do it. Okay, I'm doing it too. Just do it. This feels then, better. Do it and for then some take reason. a deep breath. <sighs> yeah, that. It does do feel you nice. Feel the tingles? I don't. I don't know if I'm getting it from the touch or I really when I close my There's eyes and breathe deeply. Here. I actually did get full I got body tingles. chills. Yeah. But like what? Yeah. What? That is. That that just happened. Like, don't you feel like we're good? I don't know if it, for me, if it was the hug or the deep breath, closing my eyes and deep breathing. Mm. That alters my neurochemistry so fast. Yeah. And so getting into self-soothing for me anyway yeah. is I touch my face. Yeah. So the little tickles that that gives me, it just feels awesome. Yes. But meditative breathing with my eyes closed. And I remember being so excited to gift Lisa the power of meditation and being yeah. like, oh my God, yeah. sit comfortably close your eyes, over the ear headphones, sound of nature, and just breathe from your diaphragm. Yeah. And the first breath I ever took like that was life-changing because it, it changed my neurochemistry so rapidly. Yes. And Lisa was like, this is bullshit. Like, I don't feel anything. And I was like, what? <laughs> I was utterly shocked. You guys know I have a very strict diet that I stick to, except for very special occasions. And I do that so that I can bring my best every day to what I'm doing. And a big part of that strict diet is high quality animal protein 
and my go-to source of trustworthy meats and seafoods with no added hormones or antibiotics ever is ButcherBox. ButcherBox is a premium meat subscription service that delivers 100% grass-fed beef, free-range organic chicken, pork raised crate-free, and wild-caught seafood all directly to your door. I cannot recommend ButcherBox enough. When you eat ButcherBox, you are giving your body the best possible building blocks to work with so you can reach your full potential. You've got to take care of yourself at a cellular level if you want to hit your peak consistently. So ButcherBox is the key. Sign up at butcherbox.com impact and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free-for-a-year offer plus an additional $20 off, and that means you can choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com impact and use code impact to choose your free-for-a-year offer, plus get $20 off your first order. In today's highly unpredictable and rapidly changing world, the smartest move you can make from a financial standpoint is to actually understand how money works and how markets move. Because if you want to have any chance of investing your money wisely and growing your financial portfolio, you have to make a profit. And the only way that you're going to do that is either by setting and forgetting or actually understanding what's going on at a macro level. So whether you're a seasoned investor or someone looking for extra guidance, today's sponsor, Yahoo Finance, has got you covered with all the tools, data, and news that you need in one place to grow your knowledge base around what is happening in the world of finance and to make sure that you have the right goals and you're executing well. Yahoo Finance makes it easy to consolidate your accounts so you can effectively and efficiently manage your entire portfolio. Personally, I love how straightforward their platform is to use. It is very simple to get the information that I need. And Impact Theory's own chief financial officer is exactly the same, spending time helping me frame exactly what is going on from a global perspective so that I'm making the smartest decisions that I can. I definitely recommend that you check out Yahoo Finance for comprehensive financial news and analysis. Visit the incredible brand that so many great investors use at yahoofinance.com. It's the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Once again, guys, head there now, yahoofinance.com. If getting your hands dirty and taking good care of your car or cars is a passion of yours, then eBay Motors is here for the ride because I'm sure you remember when you first saw the potential in that beauty. And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you can make sure your ride stays running smoothly with ebay motors brake kits led headlights exhaust kits turbochargers bumpers whatever your baby needs ebay motors has it and with ebay guaranteed fit it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time every time or your money back plus at these prices you're burning rubber not cash keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com eligible items only exclusions apply Okay, so let's talk about self-soothing for a second because this is a pa- this is like a powerful kind of back pocket tool. If you've ever been in a meeting and you blanked out, mm. you want to give yourself a distancing behavior or gift yourself a distancing behavior. The problem is, is when you're in it, right? So you're in a presentation, you're on stage, you're on a video call, you're in a date and you blank out, you're in it. 
And usually you're like leaned in, you're leaned forward, you want to do it. And what people make the mistake of doing is they go further in. They go, um, um, <laughs> um, have you ever seen people like on stage? I've that, been that person, um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So like, like, I know all too well. They're literally like, where is it? And they're trying to get it. That is actually the worst thing you can do. You're actually overloading your prefrontal cortex by trying to get more. What I want you to actually do is back up. So I want you to give yourself physical and emotional distance. So if you're in that, just take a step back, either sit back or take a step back. Try to angle your head back. And if you can, even if it's subtle, just that changes the nature of your brain. When you take a step back, Research has found that when you literally take a step back, you are able to get more perspective. So if you ever blank out, don't lean in, lean back. Take a step back, take a breath back, grab your water, right? Right, I'm back with you. Here's what I was saying. That's how I want you to do it. It's super smooth and it actually helps that reset. That's what we're actually doing for ourselves. And if you're alone, of course, you can do the self-touch. Your super sternal notch, this little notch right here between your two collarbones. Between? Between the two collarbones. I don't find myself touching there, but I am obsessed with where, like... Here. Yeah, I don't know why. Same. And as I was reading in the book, I'm like, is this a blocking behavior? Am I doing okay. something subconsciously? This is a absolutely a self-soothing behavior. Like, the reason why that feels so good. And so when we touch even anywhere in this area, including, like, our neck, mm. it reminds us of, like, calm down, calm down. That's interesting. So, like, a very subtle thing This stuff is do. so weird. It's so weird. That we have, like, we're all on, these weird, weird self-touching, like... <laughs> why we picked all the weird ones but like these but like are the if i'm gonna ones. fiddle with anything i will fiddle with my neck uh-huh. and i will touch whatever this part of the so clavicle is because it feels so good yeah because you know that instinctively that's giving you a nice physiological response of staying calm anywhere in here is that now touching your face is something important i just want to talk about is um research finds that when we self-touch especially our face and our stomach, mm-hmm. and these, I don't know how we're talking about all the weird ones, people people perceive that as closer to deception or nervousness. Decept- nervousness I get, but why deception? deception? I think it's because- And I obsessively palpate my adipose tissue around my stomach. So basically, Wait, another what? way, I pinch my fat. So I do it all the time to see <laughs> like how far under the skin is my muscle tone. You have to, otherwise you can get out of control. That Because I don't weigh myself. So that's my way of knowing, like, okay. am I in check? Where am I at? And so, but I never thought of it as a soothing behavior, a soothing which behavior. may be another reason why subconsciously I'm doing it. But when I say I do it, I do it 60 times a day. Have you talked about this before? I did not notice that. I, well, I'm never going to do it on camera. And if I'm, yeah, if you hung around me long enough, you would see me do it a lot. <laughs> well, now I know why though. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about it. So I think the reason why this internally, our brain is like, ooh, deception is because liars want to hold things back. And liars are typically very nervous. Which in the book, by the way, you do some awesome breakdowns of Thank like, you. here's this oh, famous person, Lance Armstrong, Bill Clinton, no. A-Rod, and like you give the moments and like it's really interesting to watch back that stuff. And like you watch back, you're like, oh, I didn't see that cue. I like cues hiding in plain sight. Mm. That's like my favorite. So liars, yes, like Lance Armstrong, for example, when he was on Larry King Live saying he wasn't doping, spoiler alert, <laughs> He doped, right? He lip pursed. He pressed his lips together because he wanted to like withhold the lie. Mm. So liars often want to withhold because they know lying gets them into trouble. They also are very nervous as they're trying to self-soothe. So they typically touch their face. And there are three areas of the face that they touch. 
eyes, nose, and mouth. Research has found this, so. Just to maximize getting sick, it's wonderful. <laughs> it's true, and liars will get sick more often, right? Well, I don't know about that, that's not research claims, <laughs> that's not research fact, but why? So, um, like for example, they found that there's like a Pinocchio's nose effect, that when we lie, our nose, the tissue in our nose gets a little bit itchy. They found that when we are lying, we wanna like block out the lie, so we eye block. So hmm. uh, when, people, when, li when liars are lying, they'll be like, yeah, um, you know, it's, it's just been really hard and, um, and they'll futz at their eyes because they also have, um, they want to block it out with a high blink rate. So mm. Britney Spears, some of her early interviews when she's asked really hard questions, all of a sudden she'll, I mean, I, I just really want to, I don't know, I just want to talk about that, but the reason that I'm talking about it, and she has this Whoa. like rapid blink rate, and that is because we are trying to block it out. And the last one is mouth touch. Liars, like when I ask my daughter, did you take the cookie? She'll go, mm, no. That's she covers hilarious. her mouth. Are you going to teach her about the yeah. strategies? And if oh, so, yeah. what age? So I've already started teaching the facial expressions. I've already to started to use them or what you're them. looking at? To spot them. Interesting. So like, for example, she? she's three and a half. Wow. Talk oh, about yeah. starting young. Oh, and it, it's so helpful to her because, again, control, right? Like, I didn't get confidence naturally, mm -hmm. but the more that I've been in control of the cues I'm sending to others and also seeing the cues that are being sent to me, the more confident I feel. So when we're on the playground and she'll say, I want to play with her or should I go ask them to play? I'll say, well, look at their face. Do they look happy or do they look sad? And if they look happy, I say, well, she looks happy. Why don't you go over and ask mm -hmm. her? And then I say, look at her face. If she says she's happy and she wants to play with you, she wants to play with you. Or does she look sad? So we practice the facial expressions and she knows them. Like she knows in, in we were watching a Spanish movie and she doesn't speak Spanish I, one day, hopefully. And she could say, oh, why? She said, why is he sad, mama? Mm. Because he, and even the cartoon character was showing classic sadness. So sadness is an upside down U. So we pull our mouth down and then we pinch the corners of our eyebrows and we droop our lids like that. Even the cartoon character was showing that face and she could see he was sad. So I think as young as possible. I never would have thought to train a kid to do that. But I know one thing that you've talked about is when you like your entire team has to watch your how to spot a liar i don't remember if that's the exact word <laughs> but basically how to determine if somebody's lying mm -hmm. cues which i think is interesting but i would think with kids it'd be good to hold some of that back and don't think i missed the cue that you want to say something <laughs> i do <laughs> so listen i always would have hard truth over ignorant bliss right I, if she's ready for it i'd rather teach it to her i also think like it allows you to choose if you're going to respond you don't always have to respond to a cue so for example this is a cue this this study really changed the way i think about cues it and it was it, I, I talk about it in the book a little bit but it really had a major impact in my life which is a study very simply where if you see a cue of social rejection okay mm. so cues of social where rejection where you're being rejected mm -hmm. So if you see or decode a cue of social rejection on someone else, which is why we're very aware of cues without realizing it. So cues of social rejection are eye rolls, scoffs, even a social rejection tone of voice. Like, yeah, I don't really like that. Mm. Like, we know that's a social rejection tone of voice. Okay. When we see a cue of social rejection, our own field of vision widens. We literally see more. Our pupils mm. change when we spot in less than a second, a cue of social rejection. This is really helpful to know because it means if you see a negative cue, your body knows you have to look out for more. You have to see, and why do we take in more? We have to see, is anyone else sending a cue of social rejection? Is everyone else okay? Do I have an escape route? What's my plan of action? So if your body is already doing this, if my daughter at three and a half 
already is doing that. Why not give her a name for what that is? So then she can decide, I want to address that social cue of rejection or I'm good, I don't need their approval. Talk to me about addressing it. Okay, so let's, I really like addressing cues. I like addressing them in the room. So one cue, this is not a typical cue of social rejection, but I think it's an important one to know, is a lower lid flex. If we're gonna talk about the weird cues, let's just, let's just go right into the weird ones. So lower lid flex. So we're trying to see something from far away. So if, for example- Blue um, steel. Blue steel, right, yeah, give me blue steel. Exactly. Right, so it's the heart and the lower lid. If you're, right now, try to see something across the room, try to see the detail on the wall, You'll, you'll harden your lower lids to see it. Okay, this is a universal response. When we wanna see more, we widen our eyes and fear or surprise. When we're trying to see detail or scrutinize something, we harden our lower lid. It lowers the amount of light that can come into our eye so we can see more detail. Hmm. This is not a typical cue of social rejection. However, if you're talking to someone and all of a sudden they lower lid flex you. I do it all the time. Right, it means that someone just went into deep listening mode. Correct. That at least is, that's how I intended. That is, ex it's literally when you said intense way at the beginning of the interview, I thought oh, that explains Tom's lower lid flex, because that's what you do in your interviews. You'll nod, which is high warmth. Oh my God, I nod too much though. No, you yeah. don't nod too much. We probably cut some of it out. Oh, okay. <laughs> Sometimes I do feel like a bobblehead, which you yeah. mentioned. Don't be a bobblehead. Okay, so yeah. nodding is a warmth cue. You typically, I don't even know if you realize you do this, you will balance out your nodding with a competence cue, with it, which is a lid flex. Hmm. So when you're- Certainly don't do it on purpose, but. Right, but that is your intensity. So like, right, you're deeply listening to me. What is she saying? What was that? What was that study? And I can see you are deeply listening. And then you'll balance it out with a warmth cue. That is how very highly charismatic people, and I would put you in that bucket, whether you would very or not. generous. I would put you in that bucket of highly charismatic people, is you are naturally balancing out that warmth and competence we find lower lid flexes super attractive. And I don't mean like physically attractive, I mean we want people who wanna deeply listen to us. Mm. And so that's why when you look at really hot actors or models or blue steel, they're always smizing or lower lid flexing or flinty eyes because it shows intensity. Mm. And we like people who are intensely into us. So the reason I bring this up as a social rejection cue is because it can show scrutiny. It can show that someone is reevaluating or judging what you're gonna say. And so when you're talking to a group of people or one person and all of a sudden they're lower lid flexing and you're on a, a, something positive, great. But if you're making a point or you're challenging something, addressing it would sound like, does that make sense? All good? Any questions right there? When I'm teaching- So you wouldn't like call it out specifically like, yo. Lower lid flex. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> No. That's the kind of thing I would do for sure. I mean, listen, if you read this as a team and you want to do it, and I have teams that do that, cool. But I like like the, just like the soft, like, are we good? Does that make sense? All good? Yeah. I like it's a verbal. It also can be a nonverbal. So um, What non do you do though if you see the, and you talk in the book, yeah. like you want a cluster. So let's yeah, say yeah, you're yeah. seeing a cluster of responses, yes. any one thing in isolation yes. could be meaningless. Yes. But you see that cluster, they're really giving you cues. You say, we good? Any questions there? And they're like, yeah, we're good. But you know there's something going on. What okay, do you do so, at that point? So I usually will follow up with some kind of confirmation depending on how hard it is. So if all good, yeah, we're all good. I'm like, okay. 
mental note that there was something that was going on there. So I will typically, this is like advanced level, but if something is really like, I, I know I saw that cluster. I know I saw a couple red flags in a row that I don't like, and this matters. I will typically change the mode of communication. So if we were in person, I will ask an email, just confirming you were all good on point, point, point. If we were in email and I noticed some suspicious verbal things, I will switch to in-person. If we're on video, I'll try to mm. switch to phone. Because I find that if you give someone a minute and you try a different mode of communication, usually you can get a little bit more information. So when it really matters to me, I will ask in a different way in a different mode. It's interesting. What do you think about my technique, which is I won't say that I do it every time because yeah. I do try to be deft. I try to read the room and you know what my yeah. relationship is with the person. But I am very likely to say, you know, something like, you know, are we all good? Yeah, yeah, we're fine. You made a facial expression, oh, yeah. help me understand, because it definitely read like you're upset or whatever, and I just want to make sure that, you know, whatever. Love it. So that works. You can also say, you're saying all good, but you don't look like it's all good. Mm. And that's something you can also do with your partner, right? Like if they're like, I'm fine. Yeah, no, you know, that would, Lisa, It doesn't sound fine. Sure. <laughs> I want it to be fine. It doesn't sound fine. So yes, I think that you can you can also verbally very, and that's like not an aggressive way of doing it. It's like, mm. are you sure you're good? You don't look good. And then they can explain, oh yeah, no, I'm just nervous about something else. Or you know what, you're right, I do have some hesitations. Or no, no, I really am good. Right? Like I, I like that if you're brave enough to do it. That's the socially assertive way to do it. I like it. I like it. With your partner, do you have like a code word? So like Lisa and I, if yeah. I can see on her face yeah. that there's something wrong, yeah. And I use this very sparingly because I actually want Lisa to be able yeah. to take an exit ramp if yeah. she doesn't want to talk about it or whatever. But I'll, if I really need to know, I'll be like, you promise you're okay? Yeah. Now, in our marriage, if somebody says, do you promise that whatever is about to come out of your mouth better be the truth, no matter yes. like how brutal it is. Do you have yes. anything like that? So, um, I will, yes, we have a physical one that we do. where I, Tell me more. So, like, if I think he's like not good or not telling me something, I'll take his face in my hands like this and I'll be like, are you sure, babe? So like, it's like a deep, it's like a touch, mm. it's like a very intimate touch. And I'll like, are you sure? And so for me, he'll often like touch my shoulder or touch my arm or, or my lower back. Are you sure? That like anchor touch. Did you guys discuss that? Like, would no. he be surprised hearing you say this now? I think he would be a little bit, no, no, I think he would be like, oh yeah, we do do that, but we haven't discussed it. Interesting. But like when it's like, it's like, are you, it's like, it, it's like close the outside world around, mm. are we good? That or like, are you, are babe, are you sure? That's that's like a physical touch thing. He's also physical touch, love language. Okay. So I think that that's where it came from. As we mm. discussed that we were that he was physical touch. It's mm -hmm. interesting. It going back to warmth and yes. high fives and yes. stuff. You talk about in the book, even like on a Zoom call, yes. saying like, "Hey, I'm sending you a high five. And that even things like that can cue people into feeling something. Yes. So this was a hypothesis I had right at the beginning of the pandemic. We're all going on video. And I, I, I missed the, the social tradition of a high five or a handshake. Mm. And I wondered, do we need to replace it? Do we even need to? And can we? And so I partnered with Dr. Paul Zak, who runs uh, Immersion Neuroscience. He's like the oxytocin guy. Whenever we talk about oxytocin, we're actually piggybacking on his original research. He's absolutely brilliant. He's like, the, he wrote The Moral Molecule. And Have so, you ever taken exogenous oxytocin? In the nose. Yeah. Never, but I really want to. 
Have you done it? I have, but mixed with ketamine. Oh, I've never. And I'm, I didn't like the ketamine. I'd like to try just, just the oxytocin. nasal spray. Me yeah, too. I got so hyped about it. I was Let's like, "Go do babe, it, babe! Like we're gonna do it together. It's gonna be amazing." She's like, "No, I don't want anything artificial." I'm like, "Oxytocin look, is homie. very. I mean, it's very close to our chemicals. You know, his lab is like really close. We could all go do it, dude." I'm I would do a nasal spray of oxytocin all day, any day. This is, by the way, Doctor Zach is the guy who did the vampire wedding. The vampire wedding. The vampire wedding. Like yeah. they got married as vampires. <laughs> no, he talk, no, he talks. He calls it the vampire wedding. He's the one who he went to a wedding. I don't know how. Doctor Zach is super charismatic, and so I he can convince anyone of anything. He's probably giving us all oxytocin. That's good strategy. So here's what he did. He convinced a wedding to go to the wedding and take everyone's blood at the wedding. Whoa. I know. So he took the bride's blood, the groom's blood, everyone in the wedding, he took their, their, their blood. And what he found was is that you could predict how close people were to the bride based on how much oxytocin was in their blood. Whoa. Right. So That's the, cool. It's super cool. So the more people felt bonded to the bride, the closer they were, the more oxytocin they had in their blood. I believe there was one exception, and forgive me if this one, I, I think it was the mother-in-law was even higher than the groom. I think it was something funny like that. The mother-in-law was That's so weird. oxytocin filled for her daughter. Wow. Sorry, not the mother-in-law. The mother of the bride was was even higher than the groom because she was like so happy with her with her wow. daughter. I have to check that, that is one. That's really interesting. Yes. So oxytocin is 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 real and it's very nuanced. Mm. So I feel like a, a nose shot of oxytocin it would make us do all kinds of interesting, it would like open our brain up in a connection kind of a way. It's a fascinating mm. molecule that has huge implications in trust. Yes. Which is the, when I first started reading about it, I was like, ooh, this is really interesting. Like if you have a group and you need to develop more trust, it could be a really interesting way. It could also though potentially get you into trouble if it's creating trust with somebody that you shouldn't trust. Oh, that is, is how con men work. I will tell you, my biggest concern with this book is it will get in the wrong hands. Like a question that I get that is the, is the question, which is like, what's the difference between this and manipulation? Mm. And I think there is a terrifying line for me, and it was something that caused me some writer's block, I'll be honest, while I was writing, where I'm so terrified that these cues will be used for evil, not good. And they can be. And they, they are. I mean, that's how con men work. And that is one of the reasons that what I... What I can convince myself of is I would rather equip people to know these cues. You said that woman was touching you and you knew she was touching you and it was working. I would rather you be aware of the cues that are being sent to you to know I want this or I don't because they are that powerful that if someone has bad intentions, they can still produce trust. And that makes me nervous. Yeah, I don't think you will ever be able to control stuff like this. But it would be a bit like, oh, I'm not going to teach mixed martial arts because the person might use huh. it to beat somebody up. That's true. So it's like, I'd rather have the people that can use it yes. to either, like you have done, overcome awkwardness and yeah. use it. I mean, even the book reads very much like a manual for somebody who wants to improve their life, take it to the next level. I think the subheadline on the back of the book, it says like, uh, if you're tired of being um, overlooked, overlooked, underestimated, exactly. or interrupted. Yeah, and yeah. underestimated, that was the one that really hit me, was yeah. giving people the tools. In fact, the we've already talked about this, but the um, being able to give people subtle cues that you want to interject. Yeah. And a lot of people, I think, end up getting steamrolled and they get angry at the other person instead of going, I'm going to take yes. control here, to your point. Yes. 
um, and be able to signal people. And you give this progression of, well, you can start subtle, you can do the fish, whatever. But then, you know, we get to the point where it's like, yo, stop. But <laughs> being able to um, give people the tools so that they can be better equipped to do this stuff. It's Tom Bilyeu here. And if you are addicted to the relentless pursuit of greatness, then I've got something special for you guys. The Motivation Daily Podcast by Motiversity. It's your daily fix of motivation, inspiration, and wisdom featuring the best speeches and speakers on the planet. We cover it all. Life, business, relationships, discipline, purpose, mental health, sports, studying, focus, you name it. With exclusive speeches from heavy hitters like Coach Payne, Billy Allsbrooks, Marcus Taylor, Dr. Jessica Houston, Walter Bond, and more. If you're ready to take control, level up, or just crush your day, then Motivation Daily Podcast is your secret weapon. Search for the Motivation Daily Podcast and follow wherever you listen to amazing podcasts. If you strive to perform your best in life, bringing your energy and abilities into everything you do, then it only makes sense that you would want to be out on the road with that same power, agility, and performance that everyone expects from you. And there's no better option than the most desirable, advanced, and dynamically capable SUV yet, the third-generation Range Rover Sport. You guys know I love staying on the cutting edge with technology, and the Range Rover Sport's cabin features advanced technologies such as active noise cancellation, and cabin air purification, a must, offering you and your family and friends new levels of comfort and refinement while traveling. The Range Rover Sport provides an instinctive drive with engaging on-road dynamics and redefines sporting luxury for the power, agility, and performance you demand in every area of your life. Explore the Range Rover Sport at LandRoverUSA.com. That's LandRoverUSA.com. One way I make sure my business is moving in the right direction is to ensure we are constantly becoming more efficient. Because in my experience, inefficiencies will eat away your profits and leave you with a dying business. But with the right technology, your business can get the insights it needs to become efficient and ultimately unstoppable. And that is why I recommend you check out NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, all of it into one platform and one source of truth. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors that are massively inefficient. Guys, inflation is no joke. So check out NetSuite and see how you can cut costs and boost performance at the same time, like the 37,000 companies that have already made the switch. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Do not wait. Head right now to netsuite.com slash theory. Again, that's netsuite.com slash theory. Get the information you need. Head to netsuite.com slash theory. And then I definitely like in relationships, mm -hmm. it is so easy to be inside your own head, to have a paranoia about like, I want to make sure that I'm following this or that I'm coming across well or whatever, that you actually stop reading the cues and then you can get blindsided. I think about this a lot as an employer. Yeah. It's like you're constantly trying to make sure that everybody's okay mm -hmm. and that you actually know what's going on inside people's lives. And when somebody will end up hitting a breaking point that you didn't see coming, it's like, ah, oh, did I ignore something? 
Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, reading nonverbal cues, I think, is about as close to a superpower as you're going to get. And also um, vocal cues. You know, we talked about nonverbal, we talked a little about verbal, but I also think that we hear tension. You know, I think that that's something that we, is an underestimated cue that we don't talk mm. about enough. But our voice gives away a lot of our personality and our mental state. It's the other thing that, like, trust your gut on what you're hearing. So, Ooh, talk about the gut. Yes. Okay. So I think that we know this instinctively, but if we're not listening for it, we ignore it. And that is, I've so been in that place that you just mentioned where you're like, did I miss something? Like, is someone burnt out and I didn't even see these cues coming? And so if you're listening to your gut and your intuition more and you know what you're hearing, I think you're like, ah, I just heard that. How does the gut work in your mind? So I think that we have this amazing muscle, right? This amazing, whatever you want to call the brain, this amazing uh, piece of anatomy that is constantly reading all these thousands of cues that are being sent to us. And it gives us a spidey sense. Like it gives us an intuitive hit of like something is off. And what we tend to think is we go into productivity mode. Do we meet the deadline? Do we get it done? Was she late? Was she on time? She's been slow to respond to that email, right? Like when I get that spidey sense, I typically go, I used to go to task. Right? Like, is there something off in, the, in performance or behavior and task? I actually want you to go the other way. I want you to go to communication. I want you to be like, does she sound okay? And let's talk about what, what does it mean to sound okay? So what research has found is that we hold a lot of tension in our vocal cords, right? So when we don't take up a lot of space, like, for example, if I were to do this interview with my uh, shoulders rolled in and my chin down, you already hear a kind of tightness in my voice. And so when someone's on a video call or on a phone call, and they're like, yeah, so I'm um, just going to give over my weekly updates. And, and you can hear that tension because it sounds different than when there's space. Mm-hmm. When you're listening for tension, I think that it can give away that fatigue that's coming, that smallness that someone is literally playing small. So you're listening for, one, is smallness. So as I take up less space, I begin to uh, create less volume. You're also listening for vocal fry. So vocal fry, I don't think we, we don't talk about it enough. Do you, have you talked or addressed vocal fry on the show? No, only I, I never had a name for it until I read this book. And I realized that I actually have somebody here at Impact Theory that has vocal fry. And I was like, every time I hear it, I'm like, oh. it seems like she's anxious. And yes. when you described it, I was like, aha. Aha. Okay, so vocal fry is when, it sounds gross, but when our vocal cords rattle together because there isn't enough air that is coming through them. So right now I'm working really hard to give enough air, enough volume. I'm actually not working that hard. We're just having a conversation. But if I were nervous, if you were to ask me a very hard question or if I was feeling burnt out, tired, dismissed, I would lose my volume and then I would go into vocal fry. Yep. So vocal okay. fry is when we're like talking like this and we're sort of not enough breath is coming through. And so you can hear that rattle in the back of my throat. Now, if I were to give my entire interview like this, it would drive you absolutely crazy. Right? That's good. Yeah. So vocal fry is very simple. It's when we don't have enough breath to give our voice. So one, and this is double, you have to hear, when are you hearing it? Is it because someone literally hasn't been talking all day and they just need to get themselves revved up? Is it because they're actually anxious or nervous? Like all of a sudden they went from, hey, everyone, good to see you. Oh, this is going to be great. So um, my announcement is like really basic. And then all of a sudden they go into it. And then how do you want to address it? So do you want to address the emotion or the cue? This is the challenge we have as cue readers. Are you going to address the emotion or the cue? So do you want to say afterwards, are we all good on that? You know, I just want to make sure that you're feeling good or follow up in an email. Hey, I just want to double check on you, Lindsay. Are you sure you're feeling good about that? So that's addressing what you think might be happening. Or do you want to address the cue? If you want to get rid of vocal fry, all you have to do is ask someone to speak up. 
That's fascinating. That's it. It's, if you ask someone to speak up, they have to use more breath. They go, oh, yeah, sure. And they force more air out of their breath, and they immediately get out of vocal fry. I've been in presentations before where someone is giving away their power with vocal fry. They have amazing content, but they're literally giving the entire presentation like this, and so it's really hard to listen to, and it sounds like they just don't believe in what they're saying. And so I will say to them, hey, in the back, we can't quite hear you. Can you hear in the back? And they'll immediately speak up and get out of it. So that's also a gift you can give someone. If you hear someone who's giving away their power and they're doing it accidentally, gift them the breath. Why is it giving away your power? I think that people who doubt their ideas and they doubt themselves, that leaks in their cues. Right? So they might have the best presentation or they would be the best I want best to put candidate. my finger on that for a second because yeah. that feels like a core thing in the book is to understand that you're leaking, whether you're leaking um, warmth or whether you're leaking competence or whether you're leaking insecurity, anxiety, yes. Yes. You, are leaking you are leaking these things. There is no mute button. I think professionals who are nervous, they hope they can just go mute or stoic. They're like, I don't know what I want to send, so I'm going to send nothing. Mm. There is no mute button. In fact, going mute is, in itself is a cue and it is a danger zone cue, right? When Talk someone, about poker because this, that yes. was such a great example. Oh, man, I love looking at poker studies. So um, you're kind of, you already know the answer to this, but we can play it with everyone at home. Okay, so let's say that I played a little game with you and I said that you could watch poker play, players playing poker. You have three choices of the kind of videos you could watch. A, the full body. Head, hands, feet. B, just the head. So as they're playing, all you see is the facial expressions and head movement, or C, just the hands. So just how they're playing and dealing the cards. What would you choose, A, B, or C? You already know the answer. Yeah, but I, I know what my real answer is, and I would have said the face 100%. Okay, so the first answer actually people usually give is the full body, because they're like, more information is better. The second most popular answer is the face. I want to see their facial expressions and their tells and their head movement. Mm. The actual answer the people who were the most accurate at predicting how good someone's hand was, was just looking at the hands. And that is because we try to control our leaks. So if someone has a bad hand, they're trying to control their face and go really stoic. They're trying to not move a lot. And we actually notice that. We notice if they're going stoic or going mute. We notice if they have all of a sudden kind of jerky, weird movement. But our hands are really hard to control. So people with really good hands have fluidity of movement. They have really sure playing. Their hands are really smooth. And what's amazing is we know this instinctively. When we just look at someone's hands and we take away the other cues, we can spot the good hand by looking at the smoothness of a player's hand. So interesting. And in the book, I sometimes get lost between what's in the book and what I heard in an interview, but I think it's in the book, that um, there was a woman who one year after deciding she was going to play poker ends up winning this incredible tournament. Yes. and wasn't she looking at hands? That's what she learned. So she, um, this is a great book. Um, I, and she, what she did is she, yeah, she taught herself to play poker in one year. She entered these major co- uh, tournaments. And the way she was able to climb from table to table to be at the winner's table was she stopped looking at the cues on the face and on the feet. And she really, really focused on the hands because that's when she could see if someone actually had a good hand or not. That jerky motion means you're leaking nervousness because think about it. If you're nervous or anxious, A, you can't control as much. Mm. And B, you're expending energy in all kinds of weird spaces. Very highly charismatic people, leaders, don't waste energy. All their movements are purposeful and smooth. That's one of the reasons I said, don't touch your face. Don't touch your stomach. Is because that's a wasted energetic movement. We like people who are only saying, I'm going to make a movement with this gesture or this gesture. 
And so, yes, yeah, she was able to climb to the top of the tables simply by looking at fluidity of hands. She also did a lot of training and mentoring, but that's how she was able to go so quickly. It's because she was looking for leaks. Yeah, I didn't see that one coming. Yeah. Um, I thought that zooming in on the face would be better for the same reason that zooming in on the hands works is that you're not getting all this extraneous information. Yes. And the reason that I was asking about gut instinct is, you know, your subconscious is able to take in so much more data than you can process consciously. Yes. And I also heard you talk about um, the smell test that they did where they had people jumping out of an airplane yes. versus, I don't know if it was running or whatever. But. Yes, yes. So, yes, exactly as you said it, exactly right, is our subconscious is this amazing cue reading machine. And so it is constantly trying to set, tell your gut, listen, mm. that wasn't good. We should be nervous. Or this person is great. It's constantly trying to speak to us. We just have to listen to it. So, yes, in this study, what they did is they had uh, two groups of people wear sweat pads and run on the treadmill. And the second group, they had them wear sweat pads and jump out of airplanes. Obviously, the one on the treadmill were very sweaty, but they weren't afraid. The people jumping out of the airplane had a lot of adrenaline, a lot of cortisol. Mm. Then they had people smell those sweat pads. Kind of nice. gross. Really gross. And people who didn't know what they were smelling, people who smelled the skydiving sweat pads began to feel anxious. They actually caught the fear. What's incredible about this is it means that there's these loops happening all over our life that we don't realize that when we walk into a room and we're like, why am I in a funk? Why am I in a bad mood? Why am I angry? A lot of the time it's because you caught some kind of cue that your intuition was going, you got to be on protection mode or you got to be defensive or the opposite. You walk into a room or be with someone and be like, yeah, I love this feeling. And this is why I think that before you walk into a room, before you walk on a date, before you walk into a networking event, if you can get yourself right, if you can show up as your most confident, competent self, if you know that you have all these cues in your back pocket, you know your stuff, you really have good intention to be warm and trustworthy, that makes you super contagious in a good way. All right, so let's bring this all together for people. There's okay. part of the book that I really liked is choosing better words, really being engaging with people. And I actually thought about opening the interview with this because I do this in real life with a different question, but cutting past the BS. And yeah. in an interview, you threw off, the person didn't, didn't follow up on it and I was sad. You were giving examples of things you could open with yeah. at like a party or something. And you said, what's your deepest fear? And I was like, word. Word. So Vanessa Van Edwards, mm -hmm. what's your deepest fear? And help us understand why it's so meaningful to find, like that to me, yeah. maybe one of the most fascinating parts about cues is bringing this all together to really like not incrementally improve your ability yeah. to connect, but like to use that to go to a whole new place. Yeah. So I both want to understand yeah. actually what your biggest fear is and then why something like that is so... It brings us together in a far more interesting way. I think I really want to. I really want to answer because I think that my answer is this has changed over the years. Right now, I think my deepest fear is actually that underestimated word on the back of the book. Now, are you worried other up. people will underestimate you, or that you'll underestimate you? I think both. I have this like fo opportunity FOMO. So I constantly have this fear that I'm like missing opportunities. I think that's one of the reasons I wrote this book. And one of the reasons I'm obsessed with cues is because I am terrified that I am missing things. I feel like I missed the memo on social interactions, right? Like that's my entire career is trying to write up that memo again. 
And that really hurt me. It really slowed me down for so many years. It destroyed my confidence. It made me have bad relationships. It made me ignore cues. I think for a long time I had really toxic people in my life mm -hmm. and I didn't spot the cues. I didn't, I saw well, my gut spotted the cues and I didn't listen. And so I think I don't want to have that anymore. I am terrified of having toxic people who I miss. I miss those cues. And on the positive side, I'm terrified of seeing good people and good opportunities and missing them. Like I, I have regrets about people who I let go, who I'm like, what was I thinking? I miss that. And so I think I'm terrified of underestimating others. I'm terrified of missing things that I shouldn't have missed or not listening to my gut. And why is something like that to me was really, really interesting. And if there were no cameras on and I didn't have to think about the thumbnail headline no. for the YouTube video, yeah. I would have started the interview there. Yeah. Um, why? Why is that so fascinating? Mm. This actually isn't in the book, but I want to, it's something that I think about a lot. Um, so I read this research, I believe it was by Dan McAdams, and he talks about three levels of intimacy. Have you ever heard this no. concept? It is why I suggested that question, what's your deepest fear? What he found is we get stuck in these levels. And so he found there are three levels of intimacy between people. This isn't even in cues. This is just what I use. The first level is called general traits. He calls it general traits. It's like why we get stuck in like, so what do you do? Where are you from? Right? It's occupation, age, gender. We get stuck there. We can't get out of it. That's why you have people who are like. Gender. Yeah. Didn't see that coming. Yeah, that's why um, I think that if people are, um, that's why why we, a lot of now we're saying like he, she, or like we're saying our pronouns, that actually helps us get past level one in a weird mm. way. It's like actually answering that. It's, it's called, I call it the hierarchy of facts. Our brain actually has to learn the basics before it can go deep. And so those are some of the basics. The second level is what he calls personal concerns. Personal concerns, this is the level I like to live at. This is like motivations, values. This is like what gets you up in the morning, what drives you, what's it, what excites you. It's why the questions I often suggest are um, working on anything exciting recently or what's your hobby these days? That's why I asked you about the, the marketplace, mm -hmm. right? Like it's, it's values, it's motivations, what drives you. The last level, the level that we don't even get to with some people who are closest in our life is called self-narrative. And self-narrative is the story that you tell yourself about yourself. And so that, if you know someone's story about themselves, the story they're telling themselves about themselves, that's what helps you predict behavior and understand them deeply. And so I think that when you ask someone, what's your deepest fear? And they're willing to try to answer it for you. They are giving you a clue into level one, two, and three, right? So like, I don't even know in the hours that we've spent together on camera and off camera, if I've ever shared anything like that with you, that I've allowed toxic people into my life and that, you know, almost destroyed me. And that held me back for a really long time. And I didn't, know, I didn't stand up for myself. I don't think that's ever come out, but that question unlocked it. And that is part of my self-narrative. And that's the story I tell myself when I'm driving to this interview, when I leave today, when I'm thinking about an Instagram story, is like it all goes back to that story. So like that's my goal in a lot of my interactions is, okay, yeah, let's, get, let's blow through level one. I don't care what you do. Let's go to level two at least. What do you value? What motivates you? And if I can, like what drives you? What's the story you tell yourself? That I think is a really important lesson. And what the one that I ask people, which I think falls into number two is, um, well, maybe number three is what's your deepest passion? 
try to keep it positive. Mm-hmm. I would be reticent to ask somebody that I didn't know or didn't have, you know, on a show <laughs> yeah. like this, what their deepest fear is. One, if they don't trust me, they're gonna lie anyway. Yeah. But um, getting to something positive, skipping past all the BS. I have another one I can give you. This one, like, it's a secret, it's a secret level three question. And if, by the way, I feel I'm like scared to say it because I'm like, oh, my friends are gonna be like, so that's why you've been asking that question. <laughs> Here's my secret level three question. It's a sneaker. It's, um, so who's your role model? Who's your hero? The reason why this one's such a good one is because it tells you what they think their own hero is. And you talk a lot about heroes. Lisa talks a lot about heroes. The reason why that's interesting is I asked one of my very long friends, so like, who's your hero? Who's your role model? Or even uh, what uh, TV or movie character do you think you're most similar to? And in my head, she's a great mom. She's a homemaker. She's so kind. I thought she was going to pick an amazing like mom, like Lorelai Gilmore or something. She goes, oh, Katniss Everdeen. I was like, Katniss Everdeen, do you feel like you're in the Hunger Games? And she's like, oh yeah, I'm surviving every day. Whoa. And I was like, I don't know you. And this is someone who I've been friends with for years. And we had this whole discussion about how she feels like she's fighting for time and fighting for love and fighting for her day. And she's like head above water. Damn. And I had no idea. So I would ask someone in your life. You asked a killer follow-up though. That's the key. Because yeah. if somebody said that to me, I'd be like, yo, you're a heroine. This is dope. Oh. You can fight. Like that's incredible. Oh yeah. But you saw through to what she was really saying. I knew, I knew I what that. she was saying. I was like, like, I could feel it from her. And so a little challenge, if you're willing to like sit down with the people who matter to you and be like, you know, what's your role model? Who's your hero? What character is most like you? And not who you aspire to be. And I will correct people on this. Like when, when I ask them this question and they're like, oh, like this. I'm like, not who you aspire to be, who you are. Like who has your same values and traits? It's really interesting what they say because you'll learn what they value too. Yeah, that's really interesting. You definitely have to hit them with that follow-up to make sure yeah. though that you're reading that character in the yeah, same way. Exactly. So fascinating. Vanessa, Another book, amazing. Where can people follow along? Because you're putting out content. Like, it isn't just the books. You've got a ton of amazing content. There's a bunch of content I couldn't fit in the book because it was too visual, right? Like, I had to have videos. And so, yeah, I'm putting a bunch of uh, free cues videos, breakdowns, Britney Spears, The Rock. I mean, who doesn't want to watch 15 hours of The Rock videos? (laughs) So I I do a lot of breakdowns. That's on my YouTube channel. And then scienceofpeople.com. And this is wherever books are sold. Amazing. Love oh it. my goodness. Thank you so much. Thank you for your support. Of thank course. you for being such a good friend. Thank you for giving me Lisa. Oh my God. Yes. I'm obsessed you're, with her. You're very welcome. I'm glad that you guys have gotten close. It's amazing. Love that. And thank you everyone for watching too. Yeah, no kidding. Yes. Thank you guys all for watching. And trust me when I say, if you figure out what you're leaking, get control of that so that you can communicate more effectively. That The idea is definitely not to manipulate people, but to understand how you're coming across. So when I'm palpating my, uh, my love handles, I will have a better understanding of what's really going on. And speaking of better understanding what's really going on, if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe. And until next time, my friends, be legendary. Take care. Peace.